Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Callaway Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Callaway, and I got a good one lined up for y'all today, man. Today is October 4th, 2021. Happy Monday to everybody out there. I hope y'all enjoyed y'all weekend. I have a a great NFL segment lined up for you guys today, man. My set teams that I feel has been most impressive will be discussed, and also my most disappointing teams will be talked about today. We have a boxing segment. We'll be covering the Anthony Joshua, Alexander Yusek fight. Also, um, Manny Pacquiao did call it a career. We'll be covering that. We got a UFC segment. And, of course, we're bringing back the spotlight athlete. This time around, it's my quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Thank you all for tuning in with me, man. Y'all know the deal. We'll let this instrument roll on and get right into the episode, man. BMF, Rick Ross, blowing money fast. All right, man, let's jump into this first segment, man. Most Impressive Teams is the title. Let's get right into it, man. You know I got to start off with uh, the Arizona Cardinals, man. Arizona Cardinals are the last undefeated team in the league, man. And uh, I think it's clear to see right now that they're the best team in the NFL. Uh, I know it's still kind of early, but, you know, we have enough evidence throughout these games uh, that proves us right. You know what I'm saying? Everybody that stands with me who agrees with me when I say that the Arizona Cardinals are the best team in the NFL. Here's why, man. Right now, they have the most dangerous offense in the NFL. You got Kyler Murray, who is a dual-threat quarterback, can run the ball. In my opinion, he's the second-best rushing quarterback behind my quarterback, Lamar Jackson. But the difference between him and Lamar, he's a much better thrower. Much, you know what I'm saying? His mechanics, his his vision, all of that is much better. And... uh Behind him, you got Chase Edmonds and James Conner. They have a two-headed, you know, running back tandem back there, man. Um, both of those guys have looked good to start the season off. And then also you look at his targets, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green. A.J. Green looks like he's enjoying football again. Uh, I'm glad to see him uh, playing at, a, you know, a very, very good level once again. You know, his last two or three years in Cincinnati wasn't, you know, the best. So to see him playing like this now is 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 very, very exciting to see. But they hands down are my most impressive team to start uh the season off, man. That the offense is is top of the line. Also you got, you know, a very good solid defense with JJ Wide and Chandler Jones and, you know, Buddha Baker, Isaiah Simmons, you know, have a very, very good team that's really just put together over there. But moving on to the next team, man. The Buffalo Bills, the Bills Mafia, 3-1 to start the season off, man. And, and the first thing that I think of with the Bills is just that tough defense. Man, they have a very, very, very tough defense. Uh, of course, Miami is not, you know, a top-of-the-line team. But still, they shut those guys uh, out yesterday. And, and, I mean, they've looked good just to start the season off, period, man. I mean, their defense is rough and rugged. And then, you know, you got that great quarterback that goes by the name of Josh Allen leading the way. Um uh, you got Devin Singletary in the backfield. 
Stephon Diggs, top three, top rock, you know, top five receiving the league. Wherever you put him at, you know, he has a true number one target. And just the way that they've put everything together in Buffalo, you know, I don't really see them slowing down too much. Uh, the chemistry is there. You know, everything is just falling together for them. And uh, truth be told, as of right now, uh, they look like the best team in the AFC, uh, hands down. Next on the list, man, is the Las Vegas Raiders, man. The Raiders have looked good, man. I, I I seen that we won against my Ravens, even though I did feel that, you know, we could have played a lot better if we had, you know, some of the pieces that we were missing on the offense and the defensive end. It doesn't take away what, you know, they were able to do offensively and defensively. That front line, man, uh, it's a solid defense over there, and they have an improved offense, man. Derek Carr looks very, very good. Got Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, Hunter, uh, what's the guy's last name? Hunter Renfro, and uh, I believe it's Brian or Brian Edwards. You know, they have a very, very good team over there, man. So, uh, shout out to the Raiders, man. They're looking good. Max Crosby and those guys on defense. All in all, it's a good, solid team. Next on the list, man, uh, and this is for everybody who says that I'm a Cowboy hater or anything like that. It's the Dallas Cowboys, man. They had a very, very good game yesterday. They had a very good game uh, to start the season off, even though they didn't win against Tampa. But all in all, I think the biggest question about the Cowboys would be their defense. Uh, a lot of people felt like, you know, their defense wasn't, you know, top of the line. And, you know, they lost Demarcus Lawrence. But defense has improved and shocked in my opinion, probably everybody in the league except them. You know, I, I truly believe that the Cowboys believe in themselves, believe in what they can do. It shows when they're playing football. You got guys like Trayvon Diggs, Michael Parsons, Jalen Smith. Um, all these guys, it, it's a lot of guys there that's playing hard. They're playing to win. And that's what you need from Dallas. You know, you got some guys within these last few years, me personally, just I feel like watching Dallas whenever I did watch them. Just didn't really play the win, and and they got some rough, rugged guys. They really want to play the win, and when you have a leader like Dak Prescott leading the way, it's gonna be great. You know, Zeke has looked great. I've always been one of those guys that said, you know, uh, the disrespect to Zeke is, uh, I feel like it was too much. You know, I feel like with his skills and his talent, once he got you know a good, healthy offensive line back in front of him. He would be okay, but then they also have a dual threat uh, when it comes down to the backfield with Tony Pollard. And then, you know, you look at that awesome, awesome receiving court that they got. Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, uh, Michael Gallup, when he gets back, you got Cedric Wilson, who's able to make plays. You got uh, the two tight ends, Dalton Schultz and um, Blake Jarwin. You know, all in all, Dan Quinn, to me, gets the biggest round of applause. The offense has always looked good to me when it comes down to Dallas. Only My only issue was that they worked Zeke back into the offense. I just felt like they couldn't win with Dak throwing 45 or 50 passes like they did in week one. But you get Zeke, his uh, touches, you know, his, his 15 or 22 touches, you get him over 70 uh, yards a game. You get Dak to throw over 275 to 300 yards a game. I mean, he's very, very efficient when throwing the ball. So, you know, why not, man? But all in all, very, very solid team. Dan Quinn gets, you know, definitely, you know, 
the biggest recognition to me because he's always been a defensive type of, you know, coach. I never felt like he was a head coach, but he's a defensive coordinator. He has a Cowboys defense looking very, very good right now. I love what he's doing. So shout out to Dallas Cowboys. And last, even though they lost yesterday, man, the Carolina Panthers without Chris McCaffrey, still, uh, their offense is, is very, very good over there. Sam Donner had to get out of uh, – New York to really show what he's able to do. I think that, you know, he's able to do that now with, you know, targets like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey. You know, I love what um, he's able to do. So, shout out to the Panthers. They've looked good to start the season off. They're 3-1. and one. The Cowboys are 3-1. And, one. and um, let's move on to the most disappointing teams to start the season off, man. And uh, they're not the most disappointing, but I wanted to start, my, start, this, list, start this list off. Excuse me. With the Kansas City Chiefs, man, they're 2-2 two two to start the season off. And, you know, like I said about the Cardinals being the most dangerous offense in the league, it was the Chiefs for the past two, what, two or three years with Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. They had Sammy Watkins. They got Miko Hardman, Travis Kelsey, best tight end in the game. You know, they were looking like the best offense. And for the past two years, I've been one to say to beat the Chiefs, you got to, you know, score – you have to be willing and ready to score 35 and up, you know, and uh, just to see what teams are able to do against them defensively, playing shell coverage, you know, playing deep and uh, forcing them to have to run the ball, which they don't really have a strong run game. It's, you know, starting to show uh, just small holes in their offense. I do believe that Andy Reid and those guys can adjust, and when they do adjust, it's going to be a rude, rude awakening for the rest of the league, especially the AFC, but as far as the defense goes, I think the defense has always shown kind of, you know, had, you know, small holes, but the offense was just so, so good that they weren't, you know, they weren't really exploited like that. So now when you have the offense not on the field as much and the defense really has to play, even though they have great guys like Chris Jones and, you know, Tyron Matthew and all these other great players over there, I think the defense is starting to, you know, the cracks and things like that are starting to be exposed. So you got to get some things that's going to, you know, patch that up. They're not awful to start the season off, but in a way I feel like the league as a whole is starting to figure the Chiefs out. So interesting to see how the remainder of the season goes for them. Next, man, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Point blank, in my opinion, these last two teams, I don't have many teams as far as my most disappointing teams, but the Steelers and these offensive problems, something has got to change, they just don't look like they have it offensively. Defense doesn't look too bad. Defense doesn't look too bad to see what they did against the Bills week one, things like that. Defense doesn't look bad. You got guys who, you know, are responsible for, you know, doing their job, Minka Fitzpatrick, Devin Bush, and, you know, TJ White, even though he's been out. But still, you got guys who are willing and able also to risk it all defensively. But the offense is just not sure what it is. Pittsburgh offense just doesn't look fluent at all, and that's the key on why they have been disappointing and really not looking as good as they did last year, you know. Uh, also, next on the list, man, Tennessee Titans, man. Come on now. When you got an offense led by Derrick Henry, Brian Tannehill, you add Julio Jones over there, you still had A.J. Brown. I expect them to come out the gates hot like the Arizona Cardinals did. I expected them to be the – most impressive offense in the league. Um, I feel like top three, it was going to be the Cardinals, Chiefs, 
and the Titans. That is not in any order, but I feel like they will be, you know, the top offenses in the league, and they haven't really shown that lackluster defense at times, really more so lackluster offense. I just feel like they're still kind of figuring things out as a team, which I said that they may have to do. I feel like, you know, them having training camp and OTAs will help with that. But now that, you know, matched up with teams in the league, not looking very good. Also, interesting, eager to see how the season progresses for them as well to see, you know, how they'll be able to change some things up, you know, move some pieces around when it comes down to that offense, man. But that's the NFL segment, man. Let's get into the boxing segment coming right up next. Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk, and the great, great Manny Pacquiao coming up next. All right, man, let's get into our boxing segment and uh, top it off, man. Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk, the result of that fight. If you don't know, I'm pretty sure you do now. I'm about a week and a half, two weeks late. But uh, Usyk did get the victory over Joshua. Uh, I did lean more towards Joshua to win. I felt like, you know, if if he had the right game plan, he could really uh, show Usyk some things that he hasn't seen before. But I also do... Have, well, honestly, I have also believed in Usyk. I have always been a... I've always been a boxing fan who has truly, truly believed in, you know, skills, pay the bills, and, I, and I've always said skillfully, uh, Usyk was the better fighter. And, you know, he showed that in the fight. What Joshua showed me, uh, truth be told, in a way, I feel like Anthony Joshua has peaked. That could change, but I just feel like his fighting style, um, he already had, you know, a pretty good base, a good, you know, foundation to start his boxing career off. You know, he's improved and, you know, what he has started, but I don't really believe that nothing new has been added to his game, and that's why I feel like he, he may have peaked after the second fight with Andy Ruiz. Um, not sure, honestly, you know, he may have peaked even before then, but uh, you, we do know that a rematch was in the contract for those guys, so I'm pretty sure that the rematch will happen uh, sometime next year. I just don't see how a rematch would look any, you know what I'm saying, any different right now with what Yusuf was able to do, what I feel like he was going to come in and do, you know, the great lateral movement, you know, constantly giving Joshua a hard target to really just look at and... Um, throw it and I feel like the movement kind of knocked Joshua off as far as defense goes you know Joshua hasn't always been uh the best defensive you know heavyweight boxer but I feel like he's been more defensively responsible in the past but I just felt like Usyk's style just created way too many problems for him um a lack of head movement from 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 Joshua but if they rematch, if Joshua wants that rematch to look any different than the first fight, which I really don't believe much will change, what Joshua has to do, man, uh, he has to he controlled the center pretty well, you know, within those first few rounds, uh, landing some good shots here and there. Uh, Usyk was just, I feel like he was in more 
of control of the fight. But what Joshua has to do, man, he has a jab, man. You know, I'm 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 for one who I truly believe once you're able to establish a jab, everything else comes behind the jab. Um, if you watched a boxing fight with me, you know. If you watch Earl Spence fight, you know. Once he starts to get that jab pumping, everything comes behind the jab. Um, Jamal Charlo, same way. Once the jab gets a landing, everything comes behind that jab. So Joshua has to be able to land the jab, not very, very often, because as Southpaw, uh, as Southpaw fighters fight, you you know if a right-handed fighter jabs more, then you know most likely they're gonna shoot the straight left down the pipe. But it's just for Joshua to use his jab to just establish range, uh, establish the distance. I feel like he didn't do that in the first fight. And uh, he also needs to nullify Usyk's movement. You know, if, if if he's able to stop Usyk from, you know, moving as much as he did, the great lateral movement that he's always been known for, if he can slow that down, a few body shots here and there, I, I feel like his attack to the body wasn't good enough. Um, Got to slow Usyk down, you know, keep him from just – being able to dance around you, nullify that movement, you know, cut him off a little bit more, put him more in the box, put the, you know what I'm saying, establish the range, go to the body a little bit more, and last, work the right hand. As right-handed fighters, their best punch is their lead right hand against us southpaw fighters. So I just didn't see him throw it uh, as a lead too often. I feel like, you know, sometimes just putting it out there, letting, you know, Yusek know that it's there along with controlling that distance and range, he'll be able to control the fight a lot more in a rematch. If Joshua can't do those things, then the rematch will look the exact same as this one. Um, I feel like Yusuf would just continue to build on what he's, you know, the foundation that he put on in the first fight. So, I mean, that's how I feel about, you know, the uh, the Yusuf and Joshua fight. I would like to see the rematch. Uh, I love Yusuf. I love Joshua. I would have liked to see Joshua versus Fury. Um... I don't really see that happening too much now with him losing this fight. I feel like Yusuke is, you know, the new dog in town, and, and I truly do believe that, you know, he'll hold those belts. Uh, but next on the list, man, uh, and it's the last portion of our boxing segment, man, it's the great Manny Pacquiao. The great Manny Pacquiao did retire from boxing uh, just last week. And, you know, with that being said, I felt with the fight with Ugas, uh, I felt, you know, fans of boxing and fans of Manny Pacquiao knew uh, just the vibe that was given off after the fight, you know, the way he answered questions. We knew that this day was coming sometime soon. Uh, Manny has done, Manny could, Manny could have retired five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, and still have, you know, still been okay. Manny has been a bona fide first battle Hall of Famer anyway, but for him to fight this long, uh, into his career just shows how much of a fighter he really is, how much of a champion he really is, and how much of a warrior Manny Pacquiao is, man. Uh, I felt whether it was Earl Spence that he fought in his last fight, uh, I you know, I felt like these last, last two years, Manny Pacquiao was going to retire anyway. Uh, but... Manny Pacquiao retires with a record of 62 victories with 8 losses, 39 coming by way of knockout. Manny Pacquiao has won 12, 12 world titles in his career, over 8 divisions. He is the only man to have done that. He's the only man to have won titles in 8 divisions. And when you really know boxing, you're not a casual fan, you think about that. You think about 3 division world champions, 4 division world champions, 8 divisions. I mean, Manny, you know, Manny started boxing when he was about 15 years old, 15 to 16. 
he was about not you know just over 100 pounds so many came up from like 106 to 112 to 116 to 120 you know many has put in the work as a young 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 man fought and clawed and scratched with everything that he has gained and eight division world champion to to have faced the fighters that he had faced and you know the guys that he had beaten it just shows that you know many uh was one of those guys who was willing to fight in and everybody. Uh, the only thing that I think a lot of people really wanted from not just Manny Pacquiao, but from Floyd Mayweather also, is just have seen him fight just a few years sooner. You know, those talks started in 2009. They didn't fight until 26, uh, 2015, six years later. I mean, if, if we could have got the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight in 2012, 2013, uh, would have been nice, but you know, after you know Marquez had defeated Manny, a lot you know the hype kind of died down. A lot of people felt like you know Manny wasn't going to be the same, and you know that door was kind of closing for Floyd as well. You know, we knew that with that Showtime deal that Floyd had, that you know once that cleared up, Floyd was going to call it a career as well. So, still, you know, it, it, it's great that they were able to fight. I just would have liked to have seen it uh, just a little bit earlier. But just to name some of the few guys that Manny has faced, the you know, the biggest name Manny has faced and some of these guys he has beaten over the years, man. Eric Morales, he fought Eric Morales three times, won the last two meetings after losing the first one. He just made each and every fight, the, the last two fights, easier and easier and easier to, you know, beat Eric Morales. He fought one Manuel Marquez, his greatest rival, four times. He won three, uh, won three of the four, I believe. Yeah, uh, no. The first one was a draw, I believe. I have to go back and see. I, I believe the first one was a draw. Um, second one he won. But, you know, those, they put on classics each and every time that they stepped into the square circle, man. Marco Antonio Barrera defeated him. Oscar De La Hoya, where everybody, you know, counted many out, said the man was too small. Oscar was too big, too strong. He picked Oscar apart and retired Oscar De La Hoya. He slept Ricky Hatton in the second round. Uh, completely brutalized Antonio Margarito, who some people said that he was the bigger guy. He's a nastier guy. He was going to give him any troubles. He brutalized and picked him apart as well. He defeated Shane Mosley. He defeated a young, undefeated Chris Algieri. He defeated Lucas Matisse, one of the hardest punches in boxing's history. Adrian Brunliff defeated the problem. He defeated Keith Thurman. And, of course, he did lose his fight, but still, he was able to get into the ring with Floyd Mayweather Jr. Man has put on great fights over the years, you know, not to mention he has uh, fought Miguel Cotto. He defeated Cotto. Um, he defeated Joshua Clotty. He defeated Brandon Rios. He defeated Timothy Bradley. You know, many fought the best of the best. Uh, sucks to see many retire, but uh, when you look at many's career, it's a job well done, man. It's a job well done for somebody who came from where many came from. Uh, he was dirt poor, and now he's running for president in his home country. Uh, I take my hat off to Manny Pacquiao. <clears throat> he's one of the guys. And if you know me, I wasn't the biggest Manny Pacquiao fan growing up. Manny, you know, definitely grew on me. Uh, his style grew on me. Great fighter, man. Uh, All-time greats. Manny's resume speaks for itself. You can put Manny's resume against pretty much anybody's resume, and uh, it'll stand alone. Truth be told. Uh, what Manny has been able to do in his career is top three, top five of all time. Enjoy retirement, Manny. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done for the sport of boxing. And um, 
I wish you the best, man. Coming up, man, we got our UFC segment after that our spotlight segment, man. So y'all stay tuned. We gonna finish up this episode. All right, man, let's get into this UFC segment. We'll just be covering the UFC 266 results. Nothing too major. I know I'm late on this as well, but I got to get it done, man. Uh, I feel like uh, this is something I really, really want to uh, discuss. My last podcast, I know uh, I discussed uh, how big this card was and how interested I was due to the fact that, uh, you know, Nick Diaz was back. Valentina Shevchenko, I'm a big fan of her. It was a very, you know, very good solid card, man. So let's get into it, man. The UFC 266 results, man. Alexander Volkanovski defeats Brian Ortega by unanimous decision to retain his UFC featherweight strap, man. And I mean, I would have loved to see Max just immediately get the next uh, shot at Volk, but uh, he's fighting Yair Rodriguez at the end of this month. So I'm pretty sure we'll see them fight uh, next year if Max can get through Yair. Uh, but Volkanovski, man, he, I mean, he looked like the machine that he always does, man. Uh, work rate, cardio, through the roof, didn't slow down. Fought out some some crazy, crazy, crazy submissions. That guillotine in round three was, I mean, stupid tight. I mean, it was, it, it was cinched in on a completely different level. We know how great Brown Ortega's jiu-jitsu is. It's second to none, and... and how tight that, that choke was, the fact that Volko didn't tap, his head was turning purple, but uh, he didn't give up. He got caught in a triangle, didn't give up. Uh, just shows how tough uh, Volk is. Ortega uh, didn't look bad in this fight, uh, but I just felt like, in a way, I felt like uh, Ortega also, like Anthony Joshua has peaked, uh, don't really see too much of a game plan when he fights. You know, he doesn't really set things up. He just kind of goes with the flow. And I think if he really follows a game plan like he did in the fight against Korean Zombie, you know, Ortega can, can really, really, really be the best featherweight in the world, man. But uh, or, 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 or maybe, you know, I've always been one who agrees with his levels to this game. And I uh, I just don't think he is on the level of Max and and... Uh, Volk just yet, you know, those are tier one guys when it comes down to the featherweight division, but tier two, you know, you got guys like Brian Ortega, guys like Yair Rodriguez, the Korean Zombie, uh, Calvin Cater, and those guys, you know, I feel like uh, Ortega still has some things to, you know, really just improve on, and, you know, he's young, man, Ortega still has a very high ceiling, man, but the co-main event, man, Valentina Shevchenko defeated Lauren Murphy by fourth round TKO, um, I mean, what more can I say about Valentina Shevchenko? In my opinion, she uh, is one of the most dominant champions in the UFC today. Uh, she, it just comes to a question like, okay, who can really, who can you put up against Valentina Shevchenko who's going to give her even close to a challenge at 125, man? Uh, I just don't see anybody. I just, I, me personally, I just don't see anybody stopping Valentina, man. That's, that's just how dominant she is. No holes in the game. Strong, great striking, great ground game, her approach, her IQ, all of that is just top of the line, high level. That's why I really, really enjoy watching Valentina fight. Any fight that she has, I'm going to tune into because of her approach, man. It's just, it's, I mean, she, she's an assassin. <laughs> she goes after the finished fights, her combinations, I mean, everything is, is 
almost flawless when it comes down to Shevchenko, and I just don't really see uh, anybody stopping him right now. Uh, and then we had Lawler versus Diaz, which was a five-round fight, the return of Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. Nick Diaz first fight in six years, and uh, it definitely showed. You know, I, Nick was just a tad bit slower. I, I would have liked to have seen this fight at what's weight, but uh, Nick and uh, his team decided to, you know, fight at 185. Um, Lawler looked good, though. Rob Lawler looked good, you know, coming off of injuries and just, you know, just really putting the work. He looked good. Uh, glad to see Robbie back in the win column. He advanced his 2004 loss to Nick Diaz when they were, you know, still kind of pups in the game. Uh, it was just great to see these legends, you know, really just get back out there and um, fight, man. But um, me personally, from what I've seen from Nick, I feel like the, the IQ and the will to fight was still there. But I think the six-year absence uh, definitely showed, you know, him not, you know, fighting for six years and, you know, doing whatever he was throughout those six years definitely showed as well. Um, the striking didn't look, you know, the striking didn't look bad at all. It's just uh, the speed of, you know, everything just wasn't there for uh, Nick. Um, <clears throat> which is not a bad thing, man. You know, when you're out of the game for six years, you know, of course, you're going to have some type of rust. Um, but as far as, you know, what's next for, for, for Nick, you know, I would like to see him definitely get back in there again, hopefully end of the year, beginning of the next year, you know, put him in there against, you know, somebody, you know, I agree with, you know, Daniel Cormier, put him in there with somebody like, you know, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, put him in there with somebody like Nico Price, who just got a victory, I believe, this past Saturday, put him in there with somebody like Mike Perry, Mike Perry has been won the fight, you know, put him in there with Mike Perry, um, Tim Means is another guy, you know, if Nick wants to go back down to 170, you know, uh, I feel like this fight with Robbie was definitely a benefit, you know, it was it, it was definitely beneficial for Nick to show that, you know, he can still get in there, he can still take a shot by one of the most rough, rugged, hard-hitting welterweights in the game, you know, uh, so still. I enjoyed the fight, man. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Robbie back, and I'm a big Robbie Lawler fan as well. And as far as what's next for Robbie, you know, I, I feel like you give him somebody within that, you know, 10 to 15 range, you know, just to keep him active, keep him fresh. And, you know, let's see if he can work his way back into uh, into the top 10, man. But, I mean, that's the UFC segment, man. So we're taking a brief intermission. We're going to get into our last segment, which is a spotlight athlete for my Baltimore Ravens fans, for my Lamar Jackson's fans. We're discussing the MVP, Action Jackson, coming up next. All right, man, let's get right into this, man. Uh, I ain't going to take too much of the, the time on this uh, because I can go all, all day about my quarterback, Lamar Jackson, man. But we're going to first discuss you know, where Lamar really just came from as far as uh, making the jump from college to the NFL. Um, Lamar was counted out. You know, you got all these people on you who, who wanted Lamar to change his position and things like that. They didn't feel like he could throw the ball, you know, like a quarterback. They just didn't feel like he was a, a quarterback. And <clears throat> I applaud Lamar for, you know, sticking to, you know, what makes him great. And, and just, you know, proving people wrong. Uh, of course, he had his uh, bumps in the road. We all do. Uh, he's been able to 
get past them as well. And uh, what Lamar has showed is, is, is true hard work, true grit, uh, and just the improvement of his game. We all know that uh, Lamar is an amazing rusher. He showed that in his MVP season. He showed that throughout, I mean, his entire football career, not even just in the NFL. But the leaps that he has made as a passer since coming to the league, I mean, it truly shows, man. Uh, right now, man, through four games this season, Lamar has 1,077 yards with four touchdowns, 279 rushing yards. He has a 3-1 record. And what I love to see from Lamar that I have seen this season is just um, one thing I've seen is there's not many, you know, it, Greg Roman hasn't really called that many design runs for Lamar to start the season off. Um, I feel like they could have went to it a little bit more in the week one game against the Raiders. But, hey, you know, the pass is a pass. But he's a, he, he's much more of a willing passer. His um, mindset of wanting to be a passing quarterback, you know, he knows how great he is when it comes down to rushing the ball. But for him to, you know, want a pass, you know, to want a passing touchdown over a rushing touchdown just shows – you know, who he is as a player. Um, but the improved passing of Lamar Jackson from last season to this season, from his first year to this year, you know, it has been an improvement each and every year. And uh, it, it's, it's scary to see because when you got dual threat quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, like Russell Wilson, like Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, guys who can get out the pocket, you know, those guys are great at throwing the ball. Um, the only guy who can compete with Lamar as far as rushing the ball is Kyler Murray. And Lamar is still more electric and, you know, you know, Lamar's must-see TV when he has that ball in his hands and he goes past that line of scrimmage and he's running. He's must-see TV. So with him improving his, you know, passing the mechanics, the vision is what I see that's um, really – improved from Lamar. You know, he went from having somewhat of a tight spiral his first two, you know what I'm saying, his, his first few years to now. That spiral is pretty tight. You know, he doesn't have to rely too much of, you know, that that quick sidearm throw that, you know, he used to throw his first and second year. You know, it's just his mechanics. Everything looks very good for Lamar, and I think it's just, on, you know, it's only going to get better for him. That is why he is my spotlight. Spotlight athlete today on this podcast episode, man. Um... Of course, the slander for Lamar is going to always be there. You know, it's going to always be there, but it doesn't change the fact that he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I don't care what Stephen A. Smith says, saying that he's not elite. You know, the game has changed. The game is evolving. The game is changing from, you know, your pocket passes to, you know, more of your dual threat quarterbacks. And he's one of the guys that's leading the way for being a dual threat quarterback. You know, you got guys like Michael Vick who set the standard. And, and and you had guys like Cam Newton who followed uh, RG3 who followed <clears throat> Russell Wilson and all these other quarterbacks. Tyrod Taylor. A lot of people don't talk about Tyrod Taylor enough, but Lamar Jackson is leading the charge in my in my opinion for dual threat quarterbacks. You know, um, I'm eager to see what my quarterback can do for the remainder of the season. I still think he'll be a MVP front runner. Uh, even with, you know, some of the missing pieces that he has on the offensive end, I still think, you know, he's going to do great things. He's got a lot of targets to really just go at. And, uh, yeah, man, like, I love what I'm seeing from Baltimore with uh, with 
the cards we were dealt to come into the season, man. Uh, all these injuries, Marcus Peters, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Justice Hill, you know. Um, it's cool, though. You know, we're going to continue to press forward. We got a great quarterback. He's a great leader. And uh, as always, man, look out for them birds, man. Look out for them Baltimore Ravens, man. It's Ravens flock. But I thank y'all for tuning in with me, man. This has been another episode of the Callaway Sports Podcast. And y'all know me, man. I am your host, Kenny Callaway. Be sure to share this, man. Y'all know where to get this, man. I'm recording this on the Anchor app. But, you know, if you got Apple um, Apple Podcasts, you got Spotify, you got Google Podcasts, you know, you can get it all there. Spread the word. The Callaway Sports Podcast is still taking up. We still on the way up. You know, nothing has changed. We only getting better, man. We only getting better from here on out. And uh, I thank for you know I thank all of my supporters. I thank you guys, uh, the people who listen. You know I see that I see that when you know I look at my numbers and my analytics when it comes down to this. I thank y'all, man. Uh, <clears throat> continue to do that, man. Continue to support me. I really, really do appreciate it, man. Y'all enjoy the rest of y'all week. God bless y'all. And may he keep y'all. Love y'all. I'm out.